With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Do you believe you can live a pain-free, vital life? Do you want to step back into your power and share your gifts with the world? Are you ready to make a commitment to you? It's time to reclaim your inheritance as a self-healer. Welcome to the Nature of Healing. Hello, healers. I'm Roseanne. Tammy A. Goldstein is diplomat certified in upledger craniosacral therapy, board certified as an approved continuing education provider of the upledger method. She's been a Wisconsin licensed massage therapist since 2004. She owns and runs a therapeutic touch by Tammy LLC. She has 14 years experience as a therapist, advocate, international speaker, and educator of body work, specializing in individuals on the autism spectrum and neurodevelopmental disorders. She is an internationally award-winning author of her book, Coming Through the Fog, a 2018 World Massage Festival Hall of Fame inductee, a 2019 Teacher of the Year recipient at World Massage Festival, and founder of Wisconsin for Vaccine Choice and the parent of an individual with recovery from autism. Quite a list of accomplishments. Tammy Goldstein is also a good friend. Welcome, Tammy, to the Nature of Healing podcast. Thank you, Roseanne. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so happy to share you with the audience, you know, to let them know all that you do and all that you've done. We met many years ago at the Autism One Conference, where you, I think, staffed the Upledger uh, craniosacral booth. And you've made craniosacral therapy your life's work. And I know you became interested in this healing modality for personal reasons. Would you share that story, uh, which is the subject of your book, Coming Through the Fog? Um, yes, I'd be happy to. Um, at the end of my daughter's fifth grade school year, we were advised that if she didn't have a hepatitis B vaccine prior to sixth grade, she would not be admitted into the middle school. So I listened to my doctors at the time, and it really started a two-year downward spiral um, medically, emotionally, behaviorally, uh, socially, uh, my child was just not the same. And it culminated in a diagnosis of autism, sensory processing disorders. She'd have 40 seizures a day, a full body tick. Uh, the sensory processing was so bad, she would shut down for up to five days, unable to walk or talk. Very high honor roll student. And um, it was horrible to watch her deteriorate um, at the rate she was deteriorating. Um, it was shortly after that that University of Wisconsin advised that they would like to do exploratory brain surgery because the seizures didn't come from the area of the brain of epilepsy. Um, now we know them as absentee seizures. Um, but at the time, um, 2002, 
not as common. And everything in my system said this was not the best thing to do. I had already quit my job and had been researching autism across the country. I found a wonderful occupational therapist in Waukesha who was willing to work with a school-aged child. And I explained what was going on with the seizures and what UW was interested in doing. And she said, I do this therapy called cranial sacral therapy. And she thought it would help reduce the seizures, improve the sensory system, and reduce her anxiety. And that's how I got started. Um, to see Heather's reaction from the cranial sacral therapy the first time was nothing really short of a miracle. Do you mind if I share that? Please do. Um, so... Uh, we were driving the hour and 40 minutes to Waukesha, and Heather had a type of sensory processing where she shut down. Most people know of kids that escalate, and they get very aggressive and overt in, her, in their behaviors. Heather deteriorated on herself, and um, so she was very compliant, though, and, you know, when I heard what craniosacral therapy was, and it was non-invasive, gee, brain surgery non-invasive. Let's try this. Um, Heather laid compliantly on the table and when asked, what do you feel? Heather felt nothing. Um, and it, it looked like the therapist was literally just placing her hands different parts of the body. The first change though was when Heather got off the table, she threw her arms around me in a full frontal hug, cheek to cheek. She was 14 years old. It was then that I really realized that Heather had been so adverse to being touched in the face ever since she was a two-year-old that I had learned to um, kiss her in her hairline with advanced permission. And here it was, hugging me and kissing me, and I, I was bowled over. I couldn't wait to get home and tell my husband about this therapy I couldn't pronounce, had no idea how it was done, but... You know, Heather really opened up touch-wise in a way that she hadn't in a long time. We drive home and Heather, we get home, Heather goes in the house and in her room. At, by this point, we had made it a sensory haven for her. And it appeared that she was in her typical meltdown state. My husband and I discussed this therapy and quite honestly, it costs a lot of money to get a child to recovery. And we had been through tens of thousands of dollars already. And we were discussing, did we have the financial means to introduce this, to afford it? Um, the next day though, which was really amazing, instead of having a typical five-day shutdown, Heather was up. She was alert. She had breakfast with us. She made eye contact. It was like whatever fog had you know, rolled over her had been lifted and she made conversation and she was engaged and you could really tell she was connected in a way that she hadn't been in years, literally in years. Uh, we had three incredible days of that and, uh, you know, she fogged over again and we incorporated more therapy, but, but it was amazing to see. To us, it was the catalyst to her recovery. Um, I now know 
that craniosacral therapy has an incredible way of detoxifying the brain, helping move that cerebral spinal fluid that nourishes the brain and, and feeds it and removes waste. And um, we cleaned up her diet and, and repaired the damage from the vaccine. And my daughter has recovery. Um, believe me, it was not as simple as I just explained it. But at the time, it was a remarkable thing to see. And cranial sacral therapy became my life's work and um, still remains an important part of Heather's recovery. I met Heather and she is totally recovered. If you could, if you could put her on a scale, I would never have known she had any neurological uh, disorder. And it's a testament to you and what you've done and how you've taken this healing modality of craniosacral therapy and really helped propel it into the mainstream. I mean, you alone have done so much. Um, I am just spreading the message that there is recovery possible from vaccine injury, from autism. And I, um, I'm grateful that I found this work and I'm certainly blessed that I'm able to facilitate it for other families. And, and that's what I keep talking about. You know, autism is an injury about the brain, encephalitis, brain inflammation. So what things are gonna help that individual? Occupational therapy for sensory integration, teaches us how um, a person's sensory system works, right? And when you understand that and you understand how cranial sacral therapy improves structure and function, you improve the environment the brain sits in, you improve how the brain functions. When the brain works better, all the systems of the body works together and you are what you eat. If you don't have the right chemical foundation in your body, if it doesn't have the chemicals it needs, what does that brain pull from to sustain and function the way it needs to? To me, that's the trifecta of powerful therapies towards recovery. And then all those other therapies that come into play really can do what they're supposed to do. So that's, that's what I advocate. That's my platform, if you will. That's an important message to say that craniosacral therapy is a therapy among many therapies to help the body heal itself. So for people who don't know what craniosacral therapy is, can you explain kind of uh, what that means? Yep. Um, in the simplest version, I'll say this, that the soft tissue of your body is like fabric, right? And every time you fall, bump, bruise, get sick, have surgery, get stitches, right? That fabric has to be pulled back together. And it, in doing so, it, it can pull and tug in different areas of the body, affecting how that body functions. But you do have a separate system in your body called the cranial sacral system. It's made up of the brain, the cerebral spinal fluid that I mentioned before, the membrane system that surrounds the brain and the spinal cord, and the bones of the skull, face, mouth, and spine. There is a rhythm generated in the body from the production and reabsorption of that cerebral spinal fluid. And that allows a therapist 
to palpate different areas of the body, looking for those restriction patterns, evaluating that um, cranial sacral rhythm. And then we're able to use the bones of the skull of the body to make corrections to the structures below. And it's very individualized because as you know, everybody has their own journey and their own story of bumps and bruises and uh, impact into their life. And we follow where the body leads us to those deep restriction patterns to allow them to open up and to correct. And I've seen, you know, children full recovery. And I've seen others severely, severely uh, damaged come to some level of recovery in that they can have a connection then with their parents or you know, reduction of the heavy medications. So you don't know how far a person can come unless you try other things. And if you do what you always do and you get the same results, then it's time for a change and, and broaden your, your outlook on what can help you heal. So because everybody's an individual, it will take a different amount of time for each person. Is that true? Do you find that in all of your clients, some with autism, some with other disorders? What kind of disorders do you see? Um, aside from autism and sensory processing disorder, I see a variety of stroke recovery, nervous system disorders, uh, PTSD, um, uh, anything with a stigma, uh, eye issues, ocular motor issues, um, chronic pain, fibromyalgia, so a variety of reasons why people would seek out cranial sacral therapy. And um, depending upon the person, it is how long the journey is to recovery. Um, some people do a lot of good things, and so this augments what they're doing. Others are starting a journey, not doing as many lifestyle changes, um, and this is a good start. Um, you have people, uh, I'll give you a story of a, a farmer that came to me um, with severe hip pain. And, uh, you know, we, we facilitated therapy with him for, for quite some time. And when I got to his head, I kept saying, you know, did you ever have an injury? It, it, nothing seemed to move. His skull seemed hard as a rock. And I kept bringing it up and no, he didn't recall anything. And and the pain moved from the hip to the shoulder as the body started um, making some changes. And probably almost a year into it, there's a 50-year-old man. He says to me, you know, I totally forgot that when I was two, I fell off my horse, hit my head on a cinder block, was in a coma, and had to learn how to walk and talk again. He had completely forgotten that whole scenario the entire year we were working on his body. And when his body had healed enough, it was ready to sort of bring that to the foreground. And he was able to deal with that cellular memory and, and let that go. Yeah, so, that's an amazing story. And it shows how we heal in, in layers. Yep, yep, exactly right. We heal in layers. And um, a, a lot of the foundational work for craniosacral therapy is stimulating those wonderful self-correcting 
mechanisms we have in the body. And then something occurs or, you know, the, the body heals enough and then it brings up something else that it's sort of put in its non-conscious because it couldn't deal with it at the time. And we know that the cells of the body hold emotions. So it's important to get those emotions out. Absolutely. You're really showing very clearly how the body heals itself. And it's interesting how these therapies have been under the radar or suppressed from the mainstream. And mainstream medicine doesn't even talk about this or recommend that people do this. Why? Because it puts the care into the hands of gatekeepers who control and manage your healing for you. They don't want you to know that your body heals itself. Yep. And you know, it's interesting to me how many people come in with chronic pain and they've had the MRI, the CAT scan, the ultrasound, and they're told that there's nothing wrong with them and they're given, you know, pharmaceutical drugs. You can't see soft tissue injury on any of those evaluation tools. So if you've hurt soft tissue when you're in pain, and nothing's broken, that's when you should be seeking out some kind of body work because it's a body worker that's going to be able to help you address that soft tissue and help you heal. Yes. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I am old enough to remember when doctors made house calls, and I'm old enough to remember when doctors used to actually palpate your body. They used to see how you moved. They used to look and see if you were growing symmetric, you know, so that you had symmetry throughout your body. And they don't do that anymore. And I, it's a lost science that uh, hopefully with body workers like you and I, we can just keep moving forward the message. Well, you know, and the way the laws are written, to be a body worker, to be able to touch somebody, you require a license. And so the state is kind of in control of licensure that way. Um, and doctors, not only do they not touch the body, even though they do have a license, they, they don't even look at the patient anymore. Rarely they're, they're working on their computer, they're asking questions and they're typing the answer in. So the eye to eye contact, the normal contact in a relationship is not there with your doctor. No wonder people are seeking out other types of healers. (laughs) You know, I have to say this, you bring up a very, a very, very good point. My insurance changed um, with Heather, right? So um, after the little vaccine injury after the shot, and I saw her deteriorate, I'm with a new pediatrician. He doesn't know me. He doesn't know my child. He made a diagnosis in 10 minutes. How was that possible? How is that possible? And how unfortunate that there is no hope given to the family that anything can change once you have that diagnosis. And if anything, what I'm most proud of is the parents like me that, well, I became a therapist after the fact, but I am now doing continuing education classes and meeting therapists that are moms of young children that are now doing this work because of their children. I'm now seeing individuals with autism 
seeking out bodywork fields because of how it made them feel. And so at the rate autism is escalating, at some point, there'll be more of us looking to do bodywork. <laughs> Right. If we're right. looking at one and two by 2032, you know, those are crazy statistics. It shows that we're not going down the right path um, no, in what we're currently exactly. doing. Yeah, exactly right. So I'm glad you brought up the fact that you teach because that was going to be my next question. Um, you have gone beyond the therapist to teach and you teach different levels of this upledger method. So well, I'm going to correct you there. Oh, okay. I, I teach the an introduction basis of upledger cranial sacral therapy, right? What my continuing education classes really are about is autism, what it looks like, what that family is going through. It was such an undaunting task to get Heather to recovery that I realized that certainly in the bodywork field that we already have some basic training in how to recognize when the body is escalating or, or having that sympathetic anxiety response um, and recognizing when we can bring it down. So I felt if more therapists had an understanding of what autism is about, right? The life knowledge you get by living with it is not something you can get even if you're a therapist for 30 years and you've only seen somebody on your table for an hour or two a week, to live with this disability 24-7, 365 days a year is unbelievable and gave me more knowledge than a college degree. And so that's the piece I'm sharing. When you know, a family is dealing with three or four different therapists and every therapist has a different name for the same thing, like front-loading, pre-setting behaviors, you know, mentally rehearsing. They're all the same thing, but they come from a different therapist. So my classes are to teach you what that autism is, what it looks like, how it can present, you know, why you will see certain behaviors that you see, the nightmare it is to get a diagnosis, the nightmare it is to get um, services, how to get services paid for, you know, that all has a great impact on that family unit. So the more therapists understand what they're dealing with, you know, it's, it's not just the individual child. You, you kind of have to help the whole family along. So that's what my classes are really about. Yes, you are highly qualified. And your book does describe all of those challenges you went through with your daughter. And it paints a really vivid picture about what parents can expect with the school system, with the medical system, with the state. How, how many services are there that are available to these parents and how hard do they have to work to get them? Would you describe that part of your story on how difficult it was to get services for your daughter? Um, well, <laughs> educationally, I'll start there. Okay. So let me give you the picture. So she's missing 75 days of school a year. She can only sustain three and a half hours in the school environment, 40 seizures a day, full body tick, 
diagnoses that include ADD, ADHD, OCD, ODD, severe anxiety. In fact, she produced life-threatening levels of adrenal stress hormones. And the recommendation was to reduce any unnecessary stress because there was no pharmaceutical recall for that. My daughter never qualified for special education. Now, legally, I'll tell you why. The educational definition of autism is not the same as the medical. Schools are not required to use current evaluation tools or follow doctor recommendations. They also ignore wide gaps in individual raw scores unless one of those raw scores falls low enough. So in Wisconsin, we don't even use a grade equivalent, which is the federal term for special education. In Wisconsin, they use a one to 100% bell curve. They recognize 16 to 84% as average. Your child must be 4% or below to qualify. So for my child, who was in seventh grade at the initial testing, going into eighth grade, she spoke above the level of a college freshman, but her written skills were in a fourth or fifth grade level. Not because she couldn't write a couple of perfectly good sentences, but her sensory system would make her shut down so bad, she became unable then to continue to write or continue to make those connections to put pen to paper. But because she passed all of the outdated testing, she qualified for nothing. So the process to fight that is first you go to due process. Well, we went to mediation, that didn't work. Then you go to due process where you'll lose. Then you go to the appeals court where you lose to get it to the state Supreme Court where you lose to get it to the federal level. Because as long as the schools only recognize percentages and the federal government only recognizes grade equivalent, you have to get it to a federal court in order to win. That cost us $17,000 to find that out. Wow. So Heather didn't qualify. But when it became evident in her junior year that the supportive services we were providing outside of school became the most important thing for Heather to learn to regulate her system, like a diabetic has to learn to regulate their blood sugars, we again tried to get her to qualify, and she did not. So we pretty much sent Heather to school with the idea of, we'll provide everything you need. You have our permission to leave a classroom at any time to go to the office and call me. We didn't care if she got a diploma from that particular school system or not. What mattered was that Heather learn how to take care of herself and regulate that sensory system. Long story short there, from that day on, Heather did her sensory supports that included some simple cranial sacral therapy techniques that we were able to show her. She did it in school, in the environment, in the classroom, when she needed them, where she needed them, regardless of what the school said. She was able to reduce her absenteeism from 75 days to 23, 
she increased her ability to sustain from three and a half hours to six and stopped having shutdown. She stopped having shutdown. That is what showed us beyond a doubt she's going to have recovery and she'll be able to get a diploma from wherever. So that was just one major obstacle. Uh, the other thing, if I can share real quickly, is I learned through this journey that you need to get a diagnosis from an MD, a pediatrician. Now, that pediatrician should have input from a child psychologist, an OT for sensory integration, perhaps a behavioralist, a PT to, you know, evaluate for, you know, muscle strength, core strength, et cetera, et cetera a speech and language pathologist. All of that information goes to an MD to make the diagnosis because if it only comes from a mental health provider and they're only looking at the behaviors, your insurance will only fall under mental health. You won't be able to access those other important therapies. So if you get the MD diagnosis, it opens that door to have greater coverage. So, Wow. It sounds like Heather deserves a uh, di diploma from the School of Hard Knocks, not from the public school. Exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. She proved to be very insightful after the fact about, I hate to say it, but what lanes the school will go. I mean, imagine their numbers. And if you look in the, every school district has an educational report. So in that educational report, it also lists what percentage of kids qualify for special education under what category. In, the, in any school district, in the special education report under autism, the schools barely reflect any prevalence of autism. And yet we're at one in 36 right now. I live in a school district where there's 10,000 students. It's, it's less than a percentage of kids that qualify for special ed. So what's happening to all these children that are falling through the cracks, right? What's happening to them? They're not getting any education that, the, well, the, the, with the school deems education, they're not getting that unless they have a mother like you <laughs> or the mean, the financial means to get the help they need because the school is not helping. Exactly right. Exactly. They're understand. Uh, they're underqualified. So you're writing a second book. Is is it a continuation of what you've learned from the first book, or can you tell so, us? A little bit? Um, well, uh, I have uh, gotten very friendly with another therapist, um, Emily A. Francis. If I can mention her name. Mm -hmm. um, she is a Vodder trained lymphatic drainage therapist. And she has a child who was on the spectrum. A child that um, now has recovery. She noticed very quickly that something wasn't right. Her child received uh, the hepatitis B vaccine at birth. Emily jumped into a lot of things we talked about already, getting craniosacral therapy, cleaning up the diet. She's also into body work, so um, her children have received body work their whole lives. She has recovery, full recovery. Her pediatrician said it was a miracle. Take it and run with it. 
So Emily and I decided to write what this journey is about, not just the good, but, but the ugly, the tough things, the side of the story that people don't know, don't want it necessarily here, and how important all the components of recovery are, the diet, the sensory piece, you know, the cranial sacral therapy, lymphatic drainage and the role it has on detoxifying and helping the body. So that's what we're working on. So there'll be a little tiny bit of my story in it, but more so the professional side of working with these children now, actually January, uh, I'm into my 15th year. And um, I have some beautiful videos of nonverbal children, you know, now speaking. It's not the same for every family, but as many families as we can help and make their lives easier, we hope to do that. Beautiful, Tammy. This is just great information. And I'm sure people will benefit from the second book. In either of your books, do you talk about uh, parents, if they sense that it's a vaccine injury, telling their doctors and having them report it to the VAERS database? Do, Do people even know about this? And did you at the time know about this with Heather? I did not know about this. Uh, Nobody ever brought it to my attention. In fact, I couldn't even get the doctor to draw a line from the vaccine to the injury. And, And honestly, what I have to say is that what really made me realize the hepatitis B shot was that her first 48 hours mimicked what she looked like after her two-year-old shots. So that really drew the line for me very quickly. I will tell you the whole VAERS thing is a nightmare. As you know, um, any talk about recovery for autism is being censored in a lot of places. Any talk about vaccine injury is being censored in a lot of places. Um, We have already been shopping around And uh, it is a topic publishers do not want to go there. They don't want to talk about. Um, It is a hotbed issue. I mean, look at mainstream media. You can tell just by watching the shows they're putting out what side of the fence that they're on. So I fear for where we're going down the future with mandated vaccine bills with, with no parameters on them that will mandate every vaccine that comes down the pipe, regardless, regardless of what, of what the impact is. So I don't know how to get around that. You know, uh, if you have any ideas, that would be great. But um, short of self-publishing these days, I don't think that's a topic that is gonna be allowed out there. We're seeing the worst censorship ever. So you're saying that because doctors do not connect the dots between vaccines and injuries, they will not report to the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System or the VAERS database. So we won't know the true numbers of vaccine injuries and deaths. We have information about VAERS on there and how I think less than 1% or less than 2% is actually reported. I had a family call me the other day. Um, she's a young parent, three children, pregnant with her fourth. 
She does not vaccinate because her brother was severely vaccine injured, went to the hospital, the ER, with uh, one of her boys who was having trouble breathing and um, coughing real bad, complaining his chest hurt. When that ER doctor found out that they were unvaccinated, he left the room and came back in a hazmat suit. Oh my God. He barely would even look and examine this child, spent the entire time berating the mother so bad that the, her son started crying. He was in and out of that room in minutes saying that there was nothing wrong with the, the kid other than he needs to be vaccinated. The next morning, she took him to the pediatrician. The first thing, the kid had pneumonia. It's irresponsible. It's negligence. It's negligence. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, we put that information out there because parents, you know, they're, you know, they see that injury. They're in a state of shock. And that doctor's never going to even bring it up. That's the reality. It's a hard reality. Yeah. So we have censorship of information that you're presenting, you know, what the truth is about vaccine damage and what can happen, what's even in a vaccine. Most people don't know it. Doctors don't know it. Doctors are being misled uh, on the safety and efficacy of vaccines. And like you say, now they're being told to wear hazmat suits in the ER with unvaccinated children. They are weaponizing healthy people. But there are ways to balance the playing field. And some of the wonderful things you've done is to found a website called wisconsinforvaccinechoice.org, where we work together to put content out for people to access. You also talk about this. You know, you bring up vaccines in your many speaking engagements. I do. Even though it's a highly controversial topic. And how do you talk about vaccines to the groups that you talk to? I mean, you talk to various groups. How do you talk so that they hear your message? You know, I say this. I do talk about Heather. And I say, I vaccinated. I start by saying I vaccinated, right? I was vaccinated. My mother was vaccinated. My kids learned in school how safe vaccines were and, and how they cure diseases. And then you witness it and it's another story. And if I am presenting a class, I would be irresponsible if I didn't present the 50 independent peer-reviewed scientific studies that link vaccines to autism. And then I explained this, that in 1986, pharmaceutical companies were absolved from liability and that I never received informed consent regarding vaccinations. Now that I understand that and I read the product insert label and I talk about what that is and I show that because if you ask your doctor what information about a particular vaccine, I asked about the MMR, I got an eight by 10, literally two side piece of paper, very little information. Then I asked for the product insert label it was 42 paragraphs of contraindications of you know, reasons why you shouldn't be vaccinated. So when I'm presenting, I present that information and I say what I would want because what parent wouldn't want a, a safe, 
procedure to help their child, but we deserved informed consent. Those manufacturing it should be held accountable for the products that they are manufacturing. That those that are profiting should not be the only ones doing the studies. And as long as there's risk, there needs to be choice. That is the ethical thing to do in a free society. So that's how I present it. I would never tell anybody don't vaccinate, just like I don't think it's right for anybody to tell me I have to vaccinate, right? Had I done my due diligence, and I put this all on my shoulders, both of my kids had a severe asthma attack within hours of the tetanus diphtheria and pertussis vaccine. Had I read that product insert label sooner, had my doctor actually done informed consent, we have a family history of severe asthma that made us contraindicated for that vaccine. They never should have gotten those. So, you know, I don't, when I go to a doctor now, I'm asking very pointed questions very quickly. And if I'm not getting answers that I think are truthful, I'm calling them out, right? Yeah. I don't want my doctor to, to be incentivized to get money just to promote a particular medical procedure. So I'm very cautious now, even for myself. I think people should be able to interview the doctor and it shouldn't be doctors intimidating patients all the time to make them feel that way, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, that's how it should be. We need to change our way of thinking and viewing this relationship with the doctor. Doctors are not gods. They're not gatekeepers. They don't hold the key to our health or our bodies. And we have to also now hold legislators to that same standard because they are now wanting to practice medicine like doctors without a license when they put these mandates out there. I don't know why we're not suing politicians. And I pray for the doctor in California who's suing over that new bill that removes my doctor from having the right to decide if I should be medically exempt from a vaccine or a procedure or not. We're going down a very slippery slope here. And I, uh, I, I will just say that I will not be vaccinated again and nobody will make me be vaccinated again. That's right. I think people have to know that they have a choice. No matter what the state tells them, they have a choice to say no. And even if it means being hauled off to jail, the answer is still no, <laughs> you know? Right. So, uh, it, my body, my rules and hauling people off to jail for not doing a potentially dangerous medical procedure. Was that world war two? Isn't that what we saw there? Isn't that why there's a Nuremberg code? My ancestors did not survive for, for us in 2019 to be dealing with this. So exactly. This is, we're going backwards. This is a different world from, from where we were just even 10 years ago. So I am so grateful that you are a voice for truth in this movement and you're getting out there no matter the risk to your credibility per se, because people are going after you and me challenging our credibility for saying certain things. And you know, it's all about choice. Well, and if you're, we are speaking our truth. And I, the truth will prevail. I, I firmly believe that the truth will prevail. 
Beautiful. Just like you, Tammy. Thank you. So how do people get a hold of you to learn more, uh, to book a session or purchase your book or even to ask you to speak? Uh, you can go to my website, comingthroughthefog.com. I can also be reached at 608-931-9488. Um, and I'd be happy to help any way I can. Thank you so much, Tammy. Thank you for all you Thank do you. for speaking your truth, being unafraid to share what you know your life story, um, and so that people can make choices for themselves. We really appreciate you. Excellent. Thank you, Roseanne. Sure. And until next time, healers, lots of love. Visit or consult with Roseanne Lindsay, naturopath, at natureofhealing.org where you can find her books at her website and at amazon.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.